Hello, and thank you for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Maryville here in Maryville, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can visit our website to find out more information about our church or to find our full audio archive with all of our messages. So you can find all of that at www.vineyardchurch.us, or you can also subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Okay, so... Uh, we're starting a series. We're going to spend three weeks on this new series today called Scapegoat. Um, maybe you're familiar with that concept, maybe not, but I'll just say this, and I, I always think this, but here we go. Um, I think it's kind of important. <laughs> I think the next few weeks really matter as, as we uh, get into this topic, so I just want to encourage you guys um, to, as AJ would say, lean in and uh, stay with me. Um, all right, let's get rolling. Let's say that I punch you in the face. We're starting there. We off to a good start? That's the premise for this sermon, okay? I jacked you in the mouth. What's that about? Um, All right, we're going to, let's unpack this, all right? Uh, Why would I do such a thing, right? This is fictitious, by the way. I'm not not prophesying, but I'm just, imagine, okay? Um, Why would I do such a thing? You're just, you're all so lovely and wonderful. Why, Why would I do such a thing? Well, here's the thing. Apparently, you and I, in this fictitious scenario, we got, we've got some sort of a problem that we need to work through. So I'm right. We got to work through it. All right. Maybe you did something awful to me first. Probably you did. Uh, maybe you punched me first, or maybe you said something terrible about my wife, or maybe you said Michael Jordan's not the goat. I don't know. I, who knows what you're capable of? Okay. But either way, we got beef. Something happened. And here's the thing. Even if there was nothing that led up to it, and I, and I struck you for no reason at all whatsoever, and I struck first, and there's no reason. Well, we didn't have problems before, but we got problems now, don't we? Because I did that horrible thing. Okay, so in this fictitious scenario, let's think about this simply as we can, okay? Because of what I did, I now have two problems. I got two issues that I need to deal with. Okay, we're gonna look at both of them. The first problem that I have, because, okay, you got it. The first problem is my sin against God, okay? I've sinned against God. And let me frame this up in a way that you don't just run past that. In what I had done, I have violated the sovereign will of the most high God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. I have opposed his infinite His absolute holiness. Now, I hope that sounds like a big deal to you. I can't frame it up any further. We've got to keep going. But that's a big deal. That's my first problem. And then we have a a, a second problem. The second problem is my sin against you. Okay? So the first problem is my sin against God. The second problem is my sin against you. And i got to deal with that too. i got to deal with the vertical, and I have to deal with the horizontal. And I can't just deal with the first problem, okay, and go and ask God to forgive me, and then God forgives me, and then go to you and assume that everything's fine because God forgave me. I can't go to you and say, well, I've been forgiven, so we're good now. And you're like, well, no, now we have two problems. You punched me, and you're an idiot. we got two problems. Because things aren't okay. Like, we're not just good 
because God forgave me. I took care of problem number one. I haven't yet taken care of problem number two. This reminds me of a horrible story in the Bible um, about King David. And King David is one of the heroes of the Bible. Um, he's a man after God's own heart. Like he really had it right, but he had some really dark corners that he went down when he really blew it. And the, the ugliest chapter in his story is when his buddy Uriah was off fighting a war for him, King David got real interested in Uriah's wife and slept with her. And then to try to clean up the mess, this is how he dealt with problem number two, to try to clean up with the mess, he put Uriah on the front lines thinking that he would most likely be killed, and he was. And then when he realized, that's awful, okay? And when he realizes how awful that is, he's convicted by the Holy Spirit. In Psalms 51, he's pouring his heart out before God, and he said, God, against you and you only have I sinned. And I hear that, and I go, I understand like what you're driving at theologically, but practically, tell that to Uriah. Tell that to Uriah that against only, well, you can't tell him because you murdered him, but if you could, because you've ascended against him as well. All right, so there's two prongs here. You guys with me? Cool. Okay. So I jacked you in the face, got two problems, one with God, one with you. Now, the Bible has acknowledged this sort of two-pronged dynamic for a very, very long time, okay? Uh, we're going to read from Leviticus chapter 16, okay? So if you want to follow along in your Bibles, that's way over to the left, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 16, and I know we don't spend a ton of time in Leviticus, and, and maybe you've been, you know, flipped through that or read that, maybe you haven't, um, but, uh, and we do tend to dismiss some of these, some of these older books, um, Leviticus 16, well, the whole book, but Leviticus 16 is a very, very important chapter in the Bible. Very important. This is where God lays out for the people of Israel something called Yom Kippur. That might ring a bell to you. Um, or um, the Day of Atonement. And this was a really, really big deal in the life of an ancient Israelite. The Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, was the most solemn day on the calendar the most solemn day of the year for the Israelites. This is the only day of the year that God required everybody to fast. Everybody's fasting on this day. This is Yom Kippur. This is a big one. Here's why, and this is why it's called the Day of Atonement. On this day, the sins of all the people were brought to the Lord by the high priest for atonement so that the sins would be atoned for. And I know that's a big sort of theology word. Um, the atonement is basically how our sins get dealt with. Our sin creates problems, a couple of them. Atonement is how we deal with or how God, through his mercy, deals with our problems. And Leviticus chapter 16 lays out how this was going to work leading up to Jesus. And so there's a lot of moving parts. There's a whole day of stuff. It's very involved. Um, but in that chapter... The idea of the scapegoat is introduced, and that's a really big deal. So we're going to read a few verses. Again, a lot of moving parts. We'll bounce around just a little bit. We're going to start in chapter 16, verse 7. Um, and just a little bit of background. We have the high priest, and the high priest has picked out two goats, two male goats, and the idea is that they would look very similar. Essentially, they would be equal in every way. Okay, that's the goal. And so here's what happens after that. Verse 7. Next, he, that's the high priest, uh, will take the two goats and place them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. After Aaron, Aaron is the high priest, no relation. 
After Aaron cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for an uninhabitable place, he is to present the goat chosen by lot for the Lord and sacrifice it as a sin offering. So that one, sacrifice all the way, okay? Blood poured as a sin offering. Verse 10. But the goat chosen by lot for an uninhabitable place is to be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement with it by sending it to the wilderness, again, for an uninhabitable place. Now, all the way down to verse 20. So those things kind of happen, and the first of those two things happens, it picks up there. When he, again, that's the high priest, has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he is to present the live male goat. So he's made the first atonement through the sacrifice of the first goat. Now he's going to the second goat, which is called the scapegoat. Verse 21, Aaron, no relation, will lay both his hands, picture this, it's weird, but picture it, will lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the Israelites' iniquities and rebellious acts, all their sins. He is to put them on the goat's head and send it away into the wilderness by the man appointed for the task. So there's somebody like that was their job. You're the guy who leads the goat out into the wilderness. The goat will carry all their iniquities into a desolate land and the man will release it there. Okay, I said this was a big deal and you're like, why maybe? <laughs> because I know that's a lot of moving parts and sound, all of this sounds very, very strange to our ears. None of us have ever done any of the things that we just read about. This is not normal to us, okay? But it's very important. The high priest represents all of God's people to God. He's the intermediary. He gets the two goats, okay? Says cast lots, basically flips a coin to see which one will live and which one will die. Which one will be sacrificed as a sin offering and which will be the scapegoat. Then the goat that is chosen for the sacrifice is offered to God. It says very clearly, makes atonement for the sins of the whole nation. Calls it the sin offering. So that's been done. And then, this is fascinating, those same sins, the ones that were just atoned for through the goat that's given its life, those same sins are now symbolically placed on the head of the other goat, the scapegoat. It's called the scapegoat because it escapes. And then that scapegoat is led out into the wilderness and left there. Okay, and what is that all about? Why does this matter so much? For me, as I think about this, uh, it, it, a few questions pop up into my mind. The first one I think of, and maybe you're thinking of this too, is why doesn't the first offering do the trick? There's one offering. That's kind of the system at the time, you know, and the system was pointing to Jesus. We'll get to that, but that was the way it worked. Why doesn't the first offering work? The Bible says, we just read it, it says it explicitly. The first offering is for atonement, the sin offering, but then it also says that the second offering is for atonement too. So why the second offering? So, stay with me. This whole ritual is an acknowledgement of the two problems that sin causes. The ones that we were just talking about a second ago. Remember, I punched you in the face. Now I've got a problem with God, and now I've got a problem with you, and I have to deal with them both. The first goat, the one that gives its life, is an offering for the sins against God. Problem number one. The second goat, the scapegoat, is essentially a communal acknowledgement 
to recognition that our sins hurt each other. That something has to be done about the horizontal problem. It cannot be ignored. Something must be done. So, God can and thank Him He does forgive our wrongdoings. But in the wake of our wrongdoings, we usually have this sort of interpersonal mess that we have to deal with. Okay? So, two goats, two atonements to cover the two problems caused by our sin. Who's with me? Nods? Nods? Thank you. A little discouraging, especially over here. <laughs> Come on, guys. We can do this. Okay. <clears throat> now, another question comes to my mind. You're probably thinking this, too, because you're super smart. Uh, here's another question. Why is one a blood sacrifice, a death, and the other one isn't? Well, what's that about? One go gets killed, the other one is banished or expelled. What's the deal there? Okay. Now, this is so, so important. And before I jump into this, I just also want to acknowledge this is kind of abstract um, and maybe a little confusing. So I really want you to lean in, <laughs> focus as much as you can. I'll try to be as clear as I can. So, our sins cause the two problems, one with God, one with each other. I just want to, I think this is obvious, and I'm not, I can't exactly explain why, but I think you'll just get it. The problem, so I got these two problems. The problem, number one, my sin against God, that's qualitatively different than problem number two, my sin against you. Because it just is, you know, <laughs> it can't be much clearer than that. But like, you're you and you're great, um, but he's the sovereign, omnipotent Lord of all, uh, the keeper of all that is good and right and true and holy, and he's absolutely pure in every way. And you're great too, but they're different. <laughs> problem number one is qualitatively different than problem number two. God is, again, cosmically and absolutely holy. And then, think about this, when we violate his goodness, it is a it's, it's a transcendent violation. And you might go, well, what's, what do you mean by a transcendent violation? I don't know exactly. I just, I know it's in the Bible. I know, I can't quite have my head around it. I don't know exactly how to say it, but it is this transcendent violation. And I want to be clear here, this, this is an element of the atonement. And again, atonement is how the problem of our sin gets dealt with or taken care of, okay? And what I'm explaining now is an aspect of the atonement that I don't fully understand, but... I also don't think anybody fully understands this. But in some cosmic equation that I cannot write down for you, I go, okay. but some cosmic equation, the violation of God's holy will creates a debt. And that debt absolutely, positively must be paid. Period. The penalty for that violation cannot be skipped, period. Well, explain to me, Aaron, exactly why that is. I can't quite. It's that whole cosmic thing, right? But this is the way, and Scripture's clear about this, that violation is cosmic, and it, the penalty must be paid, and the penalty for that cosmic violation, and the Bible is crystal clear on that one, is death. The penalty is death. And that's why the blood sacrifice of that first goat, that's why that's required. 
And then also, you might go, why does God give a rip about a goat's blood? And the truth is, the Bible's clear about this. He doesn't, actually. He goes, I, I've never wanted that, okay? But here's what it's, what's made clear, and this is a bigger picture. The sacrifice of a goat, or any sacrifice you read about in the Old Testament, that's just, it's just a pointer. It's just a shadow. It's just this dim hint, and it's all pointing to Jesus. Jesus, who was the Lamb of God, who was slain to take away the sins of the world, the ultimate absolute sacrifice. And so when we read about the sacrifice of a goat, why does it matter? Why does God care? Actually, it really doesn't. It's that it is pointing to the work of Christ on the cross. And when Christ died on the cross, hear this, in a very real way, that cosmic price for that transcendent violation was paid in full for all of us by Jesus. He paid the price for us. The penalty, it had to be paid. It had to be paid. It couldn't not be paid. So he paid it for us. Now look, if you sin against me or you hurt me, I like this better, you're sinning now instead of me. You hurt me or you offend me, honestly, like, we should be able to just work that out, you know? Like if we're both kind and and reasonable and thoughtful about the whole thing, we, we should be able to sort out our, our differences and work things out, okay? And, and to be clear, we can do that whether we're Christians or not. Just any sort of kind-hearted, reasonable people can sort through their issues, and so can we. But hear me again. If you violate me, it's different than violating the absolute transcendent holiness of the one true God. It's different. And if you violate that, and we all have, It creates a debt, again, that must be paid. It cannot be dismissed. Hear me, it can't even be forgiven. The word forgiveness means to cancel a debt. No, that's no longer owed. That debt debt has been canceled. Well, the debt for the transcendent violation couldn't just be canceled. It had to be paid. And so he paid it for us. That cosmic cosmic violation, again, has to be made right. The penalty is death. And thus, the sacrifice for problem number one. Y'all see it? Still with me? And this, of course, as I've already said, but it bears repeating, this all illuminates what's happening through the cross, where Jesus steps in and he pays the penalty for us. And his death was different than a random goat somewhere, okay? His death was the perfect sacrifice. He was without sin, not under the same penalty of death as we were. And he dies as our substitute. He pays the price in full with his blood, listen, for all of your sins, past, present, and future. They've all been atoned for. Problem number one, it's all been atoned for. Even the sins you've not yet committed, And maybe you're all going to bat a thousand from now on, but I'm betting not. Even your future sins as well, all atoned for through the cross. All of your sins were future sins when Jesus died on the cross. So So what I'm talking about here, and this is a big, big church word, I know. What I'm talking about is substitutionary atonement. Atonement is how our sins get taken care of. Substitutionary, that means he steps in as our substitute, dies in our place, pays the price for us. This is a really beautiful aspect of the atonement. It's not the only aspect of the atonement. This is a really beautiful thing that Christ has done. Now, I want to talk about this for a second because 
this is often presented and framed up in a way that skews the very nature of the story. So that we end up feeling at times offended or almost even grossed out by the sacrificial substitutionary atonement of Jesus. And so I want us to lean in and consider whether perhaps we might have gotten the wrong idea about what Jesus' death on the cross, his substitutionary atonement, means for us. And as I explain this, this might not resonate with you at all, and if so, that's good. But it will resonate with a lot, especially people who have heard the gospel a lot around here in the Bible Belt because it gets presented in this way. So here we go, enough preamble. It is wrong, wrong, for you or I to imagine as we, as we think about why Christ died for us and what that means. It is wrong for us to imagine that God our King was just so incensed and furious at us, at you and then me, because of our sin. And he's just so filled with rage and anger and wrath because of my sin and because of yours that now only blood could satisfy that rage. And ultimately, only the perfect blood of Jesus, his son, could now quench God's cosmic wrath. Listen to me very closely because this is very important. It is very widely misunderstood. That's wrong. It's wrong. I'm going to repeat myself. <laughs> you got to get it. It is wrong to conclude that God is so furious at us because of our sin against him that it left him bloodthirsty and irate, and only the death of animals and ultimately his son could hold back his wrath. It was bubbling over, and it couldn't be held back any longer, and so Jesus had to step in to keep us from being killed instead. That's wrong. That's not what substitutionary atonement is. The picture that that conjures up for people, well, some people push back and they go, that sounds like cosmic child abuse, because yeah. Yeah. it does sound like that. The picture it conjures up is that God was so furious, he had no choice but to sentence us all to death. And his rage made him pull out his hammer of wrath. And the hammer of wrath, as he was getting more and more incensed and irate with us, and he pulled it back, and he couldn't hold it anymore. And just as he was about to come down upon us and strike us dead for our wrongdoings, Jesus stepped in and said, no, kill me instead. And he absorbs God's wrath so that we don't get the hammer of his wrath bringing its death blow to us. That's wrong. And, thanks. Now, you might be hearing this and going, oh, thank God, I was, I was afraid that it was like that, and this is a relief, and I'm so, I, this makes more sense, and maybe that's where I am. And some of you are probably going, I have never heard of such a twisted thing in my life. And if so, great. But I want you to know, this is how the gospel is often presented, often. This little kooky illustration, don't worry, I'm not going to do it again. I didn't come up with this. I saw a preacher do this illustration to explain the gospel so that people might have life with Jesus because God is love. 
instead. And let's just, look, I understand you can, you can pick and choose some certain verses and set up a framework to try to see it that way. It's wrong. And listen, our violation of ultimate good, of God's holiness, it left us under the penalty of death. We placed ourselves under a penalty of death by choosing to rebel against the Most High God, and we've all done it. And God, listen, in His great love, in His great mercy, in His great kindness, in His great generosity, chose to pay that debt for us. He stepped in. It's pure love. It's pure grace. God was so grieved by our expulsion from Him, by our choice to step away from His will, by the reality, this cosmic equation that we now are under a penalty of death. He was so grieved by that because He loves you so much that He paid with His own blood to bring you home. All right, so let's work through this a little differently. I want to kind of work through this visually. It's really important that we understand this. It's kind of the most important thing. It's the gospel. Okay, so here's the first image. <clears throat> this is like the plan. It's how it got started. We have God inside of this, well, this bigger gray circle. We'll just call it, I don't know, a realm. I don't know, a domain. And this is the domain, the realm of God's love, of eternal life, where everything is as it should be. Thank you. Of God's mercy to us. This is heaven, if you like. Okay? Although the Bible goes way beyond heaven. Heaven is like everything in the end, but new heavens, new earth. It's another sermon. But this is God's kingdom, God's domain, God's realm, where everything is under his will and everything is as it should be. And in this place, there is no death. There is only life and love. You and I, we're the brown dot. And so when we sin, next slide, what happens is we just choose to step out of a place of perfection where things are, and we step outside of that and into this other realm or domain. The Bible calls it the kingdom of darkness, where it says Satan is the prince of the power of the air and the ruler of this dark world, this broken, sinful place, where things aren't as they should be, where death reigns, where eternal death reigns. And when we chose to sin against God and violate his holy will. It's not that God was so furious he couldn't look at us anymore. It was that we chose to step outside of his dominion and reign and into the kingdom of darkness. This is what we've chosen to do. Now God loves you more than you can ever begin to fathom or imagine. On your very best moment of absolute resounding clarity, when you can see and experience and know God's love like never before, that's not even the dimmest hint of how much he loves you. And so this, for him, is a really big problem. Because you are not with him and are now under the penalty of death. And so he needed a solution for the problem. Next slide is the solution to the problem. Through the cross... Through Jesus' is again substitutionary death, he paid the penalty for our sin. The death that we deserve, he faced on our behalf. And in so doing, he opened the door 
so that we might step back into his kingdom and back into his domain, back underneath his reign, the reign of the king of life and of love and of glory. He absorbed the punishment, the penalty that we deserved. That deals with the weight of our sin. But see, Jesus didn't just die on the cross. He also rose from the grave. And when he rose from the grave, he conquered death itself. That's actually what opens the door. Because we're under the penalty of death. And so that has to be solved. And the way he solved it was by conquering death itself when he rose from the grave. This is why Easter is such a big deal. Because the problem with sin isn't that it makes you bad, it's that it makes you dead. And so Christ had to bring a solution for the death that we've chosen to step into. So he paid the penalty for us, and when he conquered death, he defeated. In the Bible, this is a different idea of atonement. This first idea that we've been talking about is substitutionary atonement. There's another idea of atonement, another aspect of the same truth, which is called Christus Victor, or Christ the Victorious. And when Jesus died on the cross, and especially through his resurrection, he conquered all the forces of evil. And now he holds death under his thumb in total submission to him. He has conquered the domain of darkness. Christ has defeated the enemy. Satan has been vanquished by the victory of our king. And so, he's paid the penalty as our substitute for us. He has also conquered death. That's what opens the door. And then we say, okay, well, how do I get back in? Look, there's so many conversations about this. It gets so confusing. Let me tell you, it's two things. It's two things. It's so simple. Number one, Christ is standing at the door through the cross offering forgiveness for all of your sins. I paid the price that had to be paid. So now I can offer you injustice. I can offer you forgiveness. Do you accept the forgiveness? That's question number one of two. And question number two is, if you're going to enter back into the domain of God, then you bow your knee and you surrender in full allegiance to the King of glory. Two things. You receive the gift and you pledge your allegiance to him as Lord. Why? Because you're stepping back into the domain of the king. And we're not the king. So we're either submitted to the kingdom of darkness or to the kingdom of light. So you choose who will you serve. You receive the gift, and then you pledge your allegiance to the king, and then, next slide, you are returned into the kingdom of God. That's what it means to be saved. Now, one more aspect to this. I want to do a whole sermon series about this one, but we're just going to 30 seconds. Next slide. (laughs) This is the end game. Because Christ is king and Lord of all. He has conquered the enemy, and Satan and all his minions will be vanquished, and expelled. Death itself will die. And all will be made new. The mission of our church is joining God in the renewal of all things. Joining God to get to this. When we are with Him, and it's all His, and it's all ours, because we're His. And the Bible says we will even reign alongside of Him, where everything is as it should be. It all comes under His dominion. That's the gospel. And all of this is accomplished through the cross and the resurrection. And all of this is symbolized on Yom Kippur, 
the Day of Atonement by the first goat, the one that died a sacrificial death. All of that is accomplished by the first atonement. That's the solution to our first problem, our problem with God. So, what then about the second goat, the scapegoat? And what about our second problem? Remember, I jacked you in the face. Atonement number one solves my problem with God. But what about atonement for my problem with you? That's the scapegoat. And that's next week. Some of you are like, some of you are like, are we only halfway there? Because I'm hungry. No, we're done. Uh, David could come on up and we're going to wrap this up. So we're going to have Selah now, time to pray and reflect on our own as we do each week. It's such an important moment right now. It's really a sacred moment. I just want to encourage you. Maybe, maybe go ahead now. If, if, you don't have to do this, but bow your heads, close your eyes. Just take a moment to breathe, reflect on what we've talked about. kind of want to just raise two questions. Uh, the first one's less important and yet so incredibly important. <laughs> The first one is this. Would you ask yourself whether or not your formulation, your framing of the gospel is skewed by this idea of God's wrath raining down upon you and Christ jumping in to absorb it? He died as our substitute. He paid the penalty for us. But this framework that is so common, so common, it so horribly sours our understanding of God. The greatest expression of love in the history of the universe, if understood incorrectly, will leave us feeling icky and repulsed? No, 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 no. So would you ask yourself now, maybe it's 1% or maybe it's 100%, but to any degree, have I sort of taken on this idea of a wrathful, vengeful God who's furious with me And God stepping in, Jesus stepping in at the last second, absorbing his wrath for us. It's not right. It skews the beauty of what Christ has done. If so, would you allow the Holy Spirit now to paint a different picture in your heart and remind you this is all love, this is all grace, this is all mercy, this is all kindness, this is pure generosity. It's the love of God. He is love. He is love. So I encourage you to wrestle with that. And now I want to ask everyone to consider this second question. Maybe you've heard the gospel explained a different way. Or maybe you're hearing it now for the first time or somewhere in between. Who knows? But would you honestly ask yourself the question, have I taken the two steps of salvation? Have I said, yes, I received the free gift of God's grace to me, his forgiveness and entrance into the kingdom. Have I said, yes, I believe that you have done this for me and I accept what you are offering me. And secondly, have you bowed your knee in full allegiance to the king of glory to live your life for him? Not in perfection, but in wholehearted devotion. Yes or no? the answer is yes, praise the Lord. If the answer is no, my invitation is simple. Receive the invitation 
to accept his forgiveness and pledge your allegiance to the King of glory, the King of light and life and love and all that is good. Receive the gift and pledge your allegiance. And if you're saying, I'm not sure that I know how to do that, let me tell you the answer. You say yes twice. Yes to the gift. And yes to pledging your allegiance to him. And then you are, as scripture says, transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son.